Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Hey, good morning. Um, Dodd Drake, I'm honored to bring God's Word to you this morning. I'm in a small group with several previous fellows and Ben Wall, and we're going through a book entitled On the Road with St. Augustine by James K.A. Smith, and we met last Thursday night, and we were looking at a chapter on ambition, and it asked us, what is our ambition in life? What is the undercurrent motivation and energy that, that directs our lives? As we're talking, Andrew Edscorn shared a story about his previous church. A new pastor came in, and he didn't really know that many people for a while. It takes time to build relationships. And several people died in the first several months that he was there. And because he didn't know him, he went to go meet with the families, and he would ask the question, what is this person known for? And so as he heard stories and, and the character of the people, he would go and craft that into a message for the funeral and then speak about what that person was like. And Andrew stopped there for, for a second, and he asked us, guys, what do we want to be known for? What do we want to be known for? Now, I know for some of us, it may be, you may be in junior high or middle school or elementary school or high school, like, man, that's so far away from me. I can't even think about that. But just ask yourself, what do you want to be known for in your school? What do you want to be known for on your sports team? What do you want your family to know you for? I'm at the age where I have been a part of burying or seen buried some very influential people in my life. And when Andrew asked that, not only did it penetrate me because that's a, man, that's a hard question. What do I want to be known for? What am I known for? What do I want to be known for? But also I started thinking about these men and women that God has used powerfully in my life. And I started remembering, I want to be, I want to make the kind of impact they had on me, on others. I want to become like the heroes or the influential people in my life. And so it really kind of stirred within me this holy longing that I want to But also, I saw what happened within me, this holy longing that I really deeply desire to live in union with God. Because the only, not only is that what I'm created for, it's what I long for because the Spirit inside me, but it's also the only hope I ever have to really impact others the way that I long to impact, to love and to serve them the way that I long to love and serve them. So the question for us this morning is, is how do we live in union with God? How do we not only experience a transformation that we long for, but how do we experience this oneness and this union with God? And that's basically what we're looking at through Psalm 100. Because all of our life is an overflow out of what's really going on inside our hearts and our minds. So how do we live in union in ways that God is making our heart his home and filling us afresh with his presence and his power to go sacrificially love others? So how do we cultivate union with God? Through prayer. Julian of, Julian of Norwich, the 14th century spiritual director and anchorite from Norwich, England, wrote this, that prayer makes the soul one with God, that prayer unites our heart to the heart of God. And the Psalms teach us how to pray. In Psalm 100, the psalm we're looking at this morning has been central to the heart of the church and the prayers of the church in the very beginning. 
And this psalm invites us into the joy of living in God's presence, remembering His goodness, and drawing us to live in union with Him. So before we take a look at Psalm 100, please join me in praying. Father, let the words of my mouth and meditation on my heart be pleasing to you, be acceptable to you. And I pray that you would take these words and you would anoint them and empower them to feed your sheep, to nurture, to love, to wake us up to who you are, and to breathe life into us that we can become the men and women you've longed for us to become, to be fully alive in Christ, but also to make the kind of impact we long to make as your ambassadors as your servants. Holy Spirit, come. In Christ's beautiful name we pray. Amen. So please turn with me in your Bibles or your Bible apps to Psalm 100. And as you're turning there, we're going to see that the psalm is divided up into two sections. The first section is a call to worship and why God is worthy of our worship. And the second section is the same, a call to worship and why God is worthy of our worship. And the very first couple of uh, verses says, make it, I'm reading from, reading from the ESV translation, by the way. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. The psalm calls us and invites us to enter into God's presence with hearts full of gratitude and joy. It's actually titled the Jubilate, which means be joyful. It means even in the midst of our struggles, even in the midst of our hardships, what a lot of us are going through right now, with racial inequity and racial injustice, with COVID and all the craziness that that's causing, just different things in our life, being alone a lot in our homes, being isolated, that even in the midst of our struggles and joys and struggles and pain, our chaos and confusion, the psalm tells us that we have reason to be full of joy for look at who God is and look at who we are in God. Verse 3 tells us why God is worthy of our praise and adoration and our joy. And I just want to draw your attention to one phrase. And it says that God is our shepherd and we are his sheep of his pasture. And I just want to encourage you to take time on your own some point later today or tomorrow to, to really slowly and reflectively pray Psalm 23. It is such rich images of who God is and who we are and the reason why we can be full of joy and contentment in the care of our good shepherd. We'll gain a greater understanding of why we can enter into his joy and how we can find rest for our souls through Psalm 23. But Psalm 100 does this very similar thing. And then Psalm 100 verse 4, verse 4 is in the second call to worship. It says, enter his gates, the gates of his temple with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. This Psalm was used in corporate worship where the people of God would gather into the temple courts where they would gather for worship services to hear God's word, to sing praises to God. And he's calling the believers of Yahweh to enter into his temple courts, but not just enter them, but enter them with praise and thanksgiving. For look at who God is and look at how he cares for us. This is why we can be so, why can we so be full of thanksgiving with our hearts overflowing with gladness, even in the midst of, of crazy times? Look at who God is. And one of our greatest needs in life is not just to be healed of distorted images of who God is, but also distorted images of who we are as His beloved children. So verse, I'm going to spend the bulk of our time in verse 5, where it looks at four different attributes of who God is that draw us to worship, to celebrate, to rest, 
in him. First, it says the Lord. The Lord in there is all caps, and it means Yahweh, that he is our eternal, self-existing God who does not depend on anything or anyone else for his existence or his life. He has no needs. The significance of his name of Yahweh is not only that he's the eternal one who created everything, he's all majestic, all glorious, all wise, all sovereign, all powerful. It's not only drawing us to look at the glory of who God is, but it's also speaking of his immediacy, of his presence with us. He is present with us, caring for us. He's not a distant deity, uninvolved, uninterested in what we're doing. But he knows our story. He knows our pain. He knows our struggles. He knows our brokenness. He knows our joys. He knows the great things that are going on in our life, for he's the one who brought them. And he is reminding us of, look how a great, glorious God has committed himself to us. And he's drawing us into resting in his goodness, resting and delighting in who God is. Not only is he the Lord, Yahweh, but he is also good. The essence of what we use good a lot in today's world that we have minimized what that word really means. But goodness means he's full of generosity. Goodness means that you work on behalf of others in generosity. Goodness makes us better. Goodness heals us. It restores us. It improves us. It strengthens us. The psalmist is inviting us to take time to gaze upon the beauty of who God is and to drink deeply of his goodness, to gaze upon him who takes care of you, who is worthy of our trust and adoration, to gaze upon his beauty and his goodness, to take time to remember God's goodness to you, to remember his generosity and his care for you, to remember all the good things he has done for you and will continue to do for you. It's amazing how I personally forget quickly God's goodness to me and to my family. Becky and I, from time to time, we'll just kind of sit and look at each other, talking about our lives. And we're, we're like, where would we, would, would we be without God? Where would we be without his loving kindness and his care for us? We recount his goodness. We begin to share stories and remember his goodness to us. We've almost lost our son, Brennan, twice. He's almost died twice. We both grew up in traumatic, painful homes and upbringings. And God has sustained us and brought great healing. We have buried loved ones that felt like a significant part of our life was being ripped out of us. We recounted his goodness and his love and how he's carried us, sustained us, and brought healing, all for our good. God's goodness towards us will never, ever run short. He does not have a shortage of anything we can think of. He dwells in eternal abundance, and his loving kindness providing for our needs is always out of his abundance that will never run dry. He does not lack anything, and he is good, and he generously cares for us, and out of his love for us, he provides for us. He's inviting us into, to gaze upon, enter into the presence of God, to remember who he is, and to gaze upon and remember his goodness, to drink deeply of his goodness for us. But he also invites us and calls us to remember he is love. His steadfast love endures forever. And the word in Hebrew is chesed. It means loyal love, steadfast love, never wavering in kindness or mercy or love for us. His love for you is overflowing. 
It's passionate. It's generous, without limits, without conditions that you have to meet in order for him to love you or for him to like you. His love for you never, ever wanes. He never withdraws himself from you in disgust or disappointment. His love for you is not based upon your goodness. It's based upon his eternal, unchanging goodness, which never will be run dry. It's not based upon your character, but it's based upon his character, which on if you're good or bad, it's not based upon your works. It's based upon the perfect work of Jesus Christ on the cross. David cries out in Psalm 63, God, your chesed love is better than life itself. For God and his love is better than life. Anything this life has to offer, his loving kindness is better than anything this life has to offer. And the psalmist calls us to remember and to rejoice in who God is on behalf of us, to rest and delight in who he is and his goodness towards us and his love for us, but also his faithfulness to us. His faithfulness is from generation to generation. In other words, it endures forever. The word faithfulness in Hebrew is is synonymous with the word truth. It's interesting because what it's saying is that God is true to who he is always. He's true to his promises that he's given us through his word recorded in scripture. He is trustworthy. He is reliable. He is faithful. And you and I can bank our lives on his promises and his character. We can rest and find renewal in him. We can find true joy in him and the one who is good and the one who is always full of love towards us and the one who is reliable and trustworthy. Church, I invite us and challenge us to take time to enter into his presence, unrushed, unhurried, and just sit with this psalm and delight yourself in who God is. Soak and saturate yourself in his presence through his word and through praying his word and listening to him and press upon you the reality and the truth of his word. You cannot rush intimacy with God. It takes time. You can't make yourself rest. It's only a gift of the spirit as we take time and make room for God to work in our lives, to bring the rest and renewal that we need. It means creating space for God to speak, to love on us, to pour his goodness into us through his word to show up in our lives and do things for us we could never do for ourselves. The author of the classic, The Cloud of Unknowing, writes this, Lift up your heart to the Lord with a gentle stirring of love, desiring Him for His own sake and not for any of His gifts. It means seeking God, not just for the goodies that He brings, but for God Himself, for He is our greatest delight. He is our greatest joy. He is our greatest good. Nothing compares to knowing him. We were created for oneness with him. The oneness that brings rest and renewal that our hearts long for. Julian of Norwich also wrote this. For until I am fully one with him, I can never have full rest or true joy. That is to say, until I am so at one with him that no created thing drives a wedge between me and God. We must come to realize that created things, all the things we have our false hopes on, all the things we depend upon or make alliances with to bring us the life that we long to have, none of those things, they're nothing. 
We must turn aside from them to love and to live in union with our God. For this is the only reason why we are not fully at rest in our heart and our soul, that we look to find our true rest in things that are created, that create and provide no rest. God himself is our soul's delight, our soul's true joy. But God's intention is not just provide us rest and renewal just for ourselves as we pray and feast on God and his goodness. His intention is always to do what he brings us in the very beginning of this psalm, Psalm 100, whenever the psalmist says, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. This, this term is used all throughout the psalms, and it reminds the Israelites, God's people, of what their purpose on life is. It's not just in reminding us of Genesis 12, 1 through 3, the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant relationship that God entered with Abraham. When he said, I will be your blessing, I want to bless you in all these different ways so that you can be a blessing to the world around you, so that you can live in partnership with me and in union with me and seek to be agents of my blessing to the entire world. And what is the greatest blessing that we can bring into people? God himself. Read about it in Matthew 9 to go into the world and to be the gospel and to share the gospel. In other words, what I'm trying to say is this. Our overall goal is not just for rest and renewal for me or for us, but it's to experience the joy of knowing God intimately that we can enter into the brokenness and our hurting world and serve to build God's kingdom. Our call is seen to live in, to live in partnership with God and seek to bring the blessing that he is bringing to our world. It means that we're praying this Psalter for our own selves, and out of an overflow of experiencing his goodness and his love and his faithfulness, we move into our broken world right now with COVID, with systemic racism, with the pain that's going on in our lives, and we bring the justice and the peace of love of Christ to the world around us as Christ lives his life in and through us as we live in union with God. Please join me to pray. Father, we want to lift our hearts up to you afresh this morning. We thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of the Psalms, the prayers that you have given to us to lead us into your presence, to shape and mold our hearts and desires to transform us, but ultimately to bring us in oneness with you. And Father, I pray that you would pour out within us a holy fire, a holy passion that we would pursue you with all of our heart to live in union with you and that you would empower us to be the men and women you've called us to be. The loving, kind presence of Jesus that works to bring justice, righteousness, peace, and love to the hurting world. We pray this in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.